Good morning. So good to have all of you here this morning. Um, just a thought here. We've got some brochures that are uh, out at the table in front. There's some brochures. And, and what these are about is church camp out. So church camp out this year is uh, the 8th, uh, August the 12th through the 15th. That's Friday at noon through Monday noon. Um, we, we have a great time. So uh, if you want to get a camp trip um, on your schedule for the summer, this is a great one. We go up to the 4-H campground, um, just a variety of different things to do and hang out. It's just great family time, great fellowship time, uh, good time with the kids. Um, but anyway, grab one of these. It's got the directions. It's got the date. It's got everything that goes on, all the good stuff there. Uh, grab one of these and plan to come and attend. We'll also have church service up on the mountain that Sunday, and we'll also have church here as well. But um, if you'd like to come up and do church up on the mountain, you can come for as little time or as much time as you would like, but it's always a good time. All right. So here we are, and um, our, our, our sermon this morning is kind of this idea of, of uh, what did he say? Like, did, did Jesus really say that? It, it, it puts me in a spot of trying to explain to everybody why Jesus called this lady a dog, right? And, 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 and so this is, this is kind of one of those things that sometimes we're reading through our Bibles and we read this story and it just makes us a little bit uncomfortable, you know? We're like, oh, Jesus, wow. Um, wow, Jesus, you, you just called that lady a dog. Um, and I know you're tired, um, but you're Jesus. Uh, so we need to look into that, right? So, so this is chapter 7 of Mark in our Mark series. So if you want to open up your Bible, turn your Bible on, grab one from the chair in front of you, whatever that looks like this morning, we're going to start in verse 24, and we're going to go through um, verse 37, through the end of the chapter here of chapter 7. So remember last week, Jesus was dealing with, uh, with the Pharisees and just the whole concept of the idea of they were coming to him saying, hey, why don't, your, uh, why don't your disciples wash before they eat? Why aren't they washing their hands? Why aren't they kind of doing all of these external things uh, to follow the, the oral law? And Jesus kind of reminded them that this is about an inward thing. This is not external stuff. This isn't about a religious approach to this. This is, a, this is an internal change. This is a relationship that, that we're talking about, and, and Jesus reminded them, like, you could wash the outside of the cup, but the inside's still dirty, right? But if you wash the inside of the cup, then the outside also will be cleaned. And so Jesus basically has kind of retreated a little bit out of the area there, um, and he went to go take a break. Again, and, and we see this regularly throughout Jesus's ministry that, he, that he's, he's in, and, and it's really busy, and then he, he goes... And he goes to take a break. And when he goes to take a break here, he goes into the region of Tyre and Sidon. And, and so remember, as we're, this is a Gentile area. This is actually the area that, that the Canaanites kind of tended to occupy. And, and so this didn't have a good connotation with the Jewish people. The, the whole region here is really very highly associated with them. When they think of Tyre and they think of Sidon, they think of evil, honestly. They, they think of this being kind of just the epitome of, of what's wrong and what's evil and Gentiles and, and, and different things like that. 
As a matter of fact, it's, it's very interesting because it says here that Jesus has entered into a home, so he's likely in this region entered into a Gentile home, which is something that the Jewish people wouldn't do. They, they wouldn't enter into um, a Gentile home because, again, this idea that like, oh, something might get on me and might uh, leave me kind of defiled. And, and so anyway, it, it, this place is so bad, Tyre is actually so bad that what we see in the book of, of Isaiah is that we, we see that, um, no, I'm sorry, it's, it's not Isaiah, it's, it's Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel 28, we see that, that, uh, that this place is actually even the king of Tyre is related and, and is given as kind of a type even of Satan. It's kind of an interesting uh, thing that goes on here in Ezekiel. Basically, there's this whole um, written uh, section up there that does deal with the actual king of Tyre. But then this, there's this transition that it makes, and it starts talking about this concept of the king of Tyre that, um, that that actual king of Tyre couldn't have been associated with. All of a sudden, we see this idea of, of the garden and all the way back then. And, and many scholars would say that this is a kind of a picture of the fall of Satan and what that looked like. And it says this in Ezekiel 28, um, 11 through 19, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. The garden of God, every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities in, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries, so I brought fire out from your midst, it consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. And, and so when the people of thought of, of Tyre, they, 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 again, they thought of it as, as the epitome of evil. When they thought of Sidon, they, they thought about Jezebel, who Jezebel was, when she married King Ahab, she brought all of the kind of the, the cultural cults that, that she was involved with to the, to the Jewish people, and so um, Jezebel wasn't a, a good happy thought either. So Jesus has, has uh, let's look into this and, and, and read this a bit, and Jesus, it says here, um, and from there he arose, and he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. 
Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and she found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. So when we look into this, we, we, we start to see that, that Jesus is, again, he's come, he's come to rest. He's entered into a home, but he can't rest. How many times do we see that when Jesus actually wants to rest, that something comes up, somebody comes up, and, 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 but you never see Jesus reject anybody on this level. Anybody who comes to Jesus, there's, there's never a rejection of anybody that comes to him at any point in time um, for anything. He was never too tired, nor is he ever too tired for any of us ever. He just, he doesn't grow tired now, and this was in his human experience, so certainly he was tired at this point, but he's now living in a glorified state and never grows weary or tired. Our, our things, the things that we bring to him or need to bring to him are, are never something that are cumbersome or burdensome to him. He's always ready and willing to hear. Now, this lady, she's Syrophoenician, so she's an inhabitant of Phoenicia um, when it was part of the Roman province of Syria. She's of, of a mixed race. She's a Canaanite woman, and she is likely a Greek-speaking woman. So Jesus, we know, spoke um, Aramaic. He very also spoke Hebrew. And a lot of scholars believe also that he was a Greek speaker because Greek is the common language of the area. And so when, when this interaction is happening, it's likely happening in Greek because she's a Greek-speaking woman. She's, she's not a Jew. She's not speaking Hebrew or Aramaic. And when, it comes, when she comes, it says that she comes begging repeatedly. It means that she won't quit. It means that she is coming and just begging and pleading and asking again and again and again and again. So much, as a matter of fact, that if we looked at Matthew's version of this in chapter 15 of Matthew, it says this. It says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord. Son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that will fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. <clears throat> and her daughter was healed instantly. So she comes and she uses an interesting term here. She calls him the son of David. Now, when she calls him son of David, she is making a proclamation that says this, I know who you are in context of who you are. 
that you are the Messiah. You're the person that, that the Jews have been waiting for. You're the promised one. So she understands this. We see this in Luke chapter 18, too. And, and it's about this, this blind guy who's sitting on the road uh, to, uh, he's sitting along the road, and, and he hears all of these people are, are coming by, and there's, there's just this big throng of people, and he, he starts people asking people, he's like, hey, what's, what's going on over there? What, what's happening? And they, you know, somebody probably whispers to him, hey, it's Jesus and his followers, and they're going by. When he hears that, he starts yelling out, <clears throat> Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then it says that those who were in the front told him, hey, shh, be quiet, shush, you're going to bother Jesus. But he doesn't. He cries out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. His proclamation is this, I know who you are. I know who's walking in front of me. And he calls out to him in that spot of, I know exactly who you are, and I'm calling out to you because I know you're the answer to my problems. This woman, she sits in exactly the same place. She, she refers to him as, as being the, the, the son of David. You see, and everything is against her. She's a woman. She's a Gentile. Maybe worse than that, she's a Canaanite. And Jesus is there to rest but guess what? She is a mama bear. She's a mama bear, right? There is something wrong with her little girl, and she is not going to quit. She understands that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus is the one who is able and capable, and, and, and so she's just coming to him, and it says that she is just coming to him to the point that the disciples are like, will you just get her out of here? Can you just boot her out of here, Jesus? Just get rid of her. We're tired of listening to her. She won't quit, right? And then Jesus begins kind of this dialogue with her. And sometimes it's one that we kind of, like I said, it makes us a little bit uncomfortable. We're like, oh, hey, dang, Jesus. I mean, you didn't have to call her a dog. But, but Jesus, it, it's interesting what happens here. Be, because what happens here is that actually that the Jews used called the Gentiles dogs regularly, and it was an incredibly degrading term. As a matter of fact, in the Greek, the word for this is a shameless and audacious woman. It would be very similar to a term that we have in English that starts with B, and I'll need to go no further than that. This is what was commonly referred to in that setting from a Jewish person, quite likely. And, and, but when Jesus says this, when he says, um, when Jesus says, look, it's, it's not right, you know, to take the bread from the children and give it to the dogs, Jesus uses a diminutive form of the word. And, and Anna was helping with this. She said that, like in Spanish, there's the diminutive form of different words, like a chica, is a girl, a generic term for a girl. But if you said Chiquita, you're saying, oh, it's a beautiful, you're a beautiful little girl. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, um, it, it's more of a, a personal, um, loving way of establishing that. And, and so when Jesus calls her a dog, he uses a diminutive form of that. He, he says, like, you're, you're, 
like a puppy. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the little puppies that are underneath the table. Which in a general way is, is kind of interesting because children and puppies have a great relationship, don't they? Sometimes I think, though, that we have a wrong, we have a wrong thought of this. We, we, we hear this wrong. I don't think we ever hear this with, with any of the emotion that Jesus actually had. You know, I, I believe in this thing that Jesus is kind of teasing with her, that, that she knows full well the words and the verbiage that's been used in general. And when he talks to her, it's not like this. He's like, it's not good to take the bread that is the children's and throw it to dogs. That's how we hear it sometimes, you know, we just think that there's no emotion in this. But I think that we have to really kind of consider this and picture Jesus maybe with a little bit of a coy smile on his face as he says it. Like, hey, you know, you know how this goes. It's not good. I can't, I've come to the house of Israel first. And what he's telling her is that there's an order to how this is going to play out. That I've come to the house of Israel and it's not right for me just to take the bread that is for the children and give it to the dogs. That would be out of order. That wouldn't be right. That wouldn't be the thing to do. Basically, what he's doing is he's speaking a parable to her. He's teaching again with the parable in this situation. He's, he's taking kind of a real-life situation, and he's using it to teach something. And he's saying, hey, it's not right if you just take the kid's bread and just give it to the dogs. And it's really interesting because what happens is that she gives an answer within the parable. She's like about the only one that does that. Everybody else is like, what did you mean by that, you know? And she's just like, she hits it right in there and she says, well, you know, even the bread that falls from the table, right, the dogs get that. And what is she saying in that? She's she's basically... uh, She's basically saying, like, I know that there's abundance at your table, that at your table, there is, there is abundance, that there is never lack at your table. There is so much. As a matter of fact, in, in Matthew, the word there, it says when it, calls, it comes from the master's table, the, the word there, um, it means supreme authority. So she's saying, like, I know who you are. You are the supreme authority, and because of your table, anything that comes off of your table, there's more than enough. It's the same as the lost son when he was coming back to the father in the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. He he said, wait a minute, back at my father's house, even the hired men have more than enough, that that nobody is lacking in my father's house. It, It doesn't happen. What she's saying is this. She's saying, in essence, she's saying, give me what I do not deserve, not on the basis of who I am, but on the basis of who you are. This is the gospel. This is the gospel message right here. And Jesus is using this parable to, to see, and she gets it. She gets it. It's not about who I am. It's about who you are. It's not about what I bring to the table. It's about the, the fact that at the master's table, there's more than enough. It's all just overflowing. And, and Jesus responds to this. He responds to this, and he, and he just says, wow, for this statement, you know, go. Your, your daughter is, is healed. The demon has left your daughter. 
there's, there's nothing more to it. There's no pomp to it. It's just go, it's done. It's over. Because of your faith, because of your mama bear heart, and because you get it, you understand, you get it. You understand this. See, this is how we come to Jesus, right? We, we come to Jesus not with all of the things that we bring to the table, not with all that's on our plate, but with a recognition that it's not about our merit, it's about him, it's about who he is. And it's about the fact that there is abundance with him always. And as a response to her faith, he meets her request. And, and think about how this great faith was expressed. A, it was, it was persistent. Jesus tells other parables about like, like when, when somebody has some people come over and they go to the neighbor's house, they're like, need some bread. Not a bread over here. Need some bread, even though it's late at night. Hey, I need some bread. Hey, I got somebody over at the house. I, I need bread. And they're like, eventually, they're going to answer the door and throw a loaf of bread at you and say, go to bed, right? But God isn't like that. You see, God is abundant. But he does ask that we would persistently go to him, to continue to ask. That He doesn't get tired of that. He actually responds to that type of faith, that persistent faith that goes time and time and time again. See, because when we continue to go time and time and time again, we're demonstrating that we aren't tossed to and fro like on waves by the wind and the waves, right? But that we are steadfast in our faith, that we continue to understand that he is the source. The problem with us and, and the problem with me is sometimes I go, okay, God, can you do this? I need this. Can you do this? And and then I don't get this response right off, so I'm like, oh, I've got to figure this out over here. I go somewhere else. And that's really a lack of faith, right? James tells us that when we ask, we must ask in faith, right? And to be perseverant in that because otherwise uh, we expect to not receive anything. So that persevering faith is how her faith was expressed. Um, she refused to be offended, she refused to be offended. See, the problem with us is we take every opportunity, every great opportunity we have to be offended, we're like, yep, okay, I'm offended, right? I'm offended that you're offended. So now we're both offended, right? And it's this, it's this thing that, that like she refused to be offended. She had every reason to, to get offended over that. Just call me a dog? I'm out of here. See, and sometimes we get offended in reality, right? When, when it doesn't go the way that we want it to go, when the order of things isn't maybe the way that we would have it to be, sometimes we want to get offended and we want to leave. But God is saying that's not what faith looks like. See, there's, there's a reality that God's word on a lot of levels offends me. It offends the nature that's inside of me, who I really am. The sin nature that lives in this challenges it. It challenges it. It challenges me with how I'm living my life and what does that look like. And then I have an option once I'm, once I'm a little bit offended by it is am I going to listen to it? Am I going to agree with it? Am I going to understand that, that God's ways are higher than my ways or am I just going to be offended and go my own way? Because those are options, right? So God's word, if you're in it, if you're studying it, it's going to offend you. 
And refusing to be offended is that place of, of, of great faith. She knew that Jesus could do it. She knew he was the source, that he was the son of David, that he was the Messiah, that even though he had come for the, you know, to, to, to make known to the Jewish people that he still was the one who could meet her needs and would meet her needs. She never asked him to change the order. She never asked him to do that. She never said, hey, well, how about if you just give me a place at the table? How come I can't have a place at the table? How come that doesn't work for me? That's not fair, right? That's racist, Jesus. Probably what we would say today, just because she's a Canaanite, right? But she never asked him to change the order of things. She agrees with his order, and she works within that. And she says, yeah, that's true, but because of who you are, I know there's going to be plenty of, of crumbs that fall to the floor in front of me. And then she was interceding for someone else. And that's what we have to remember. Are we interceding for others? She was interceding on behalf of her daughter, and she refused to be offended. She was persistent. She knew Jesus could do it, and she never asked him to change the order of things. She said, your will be done, but I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to keep knocking. I'm going to keep asking. We're told here that, that, that this is all happening in the, in basically in the region of the Decapolis or the Ten Cities, too. And, and if we remember back, we, we remember the, the, the demoniac, right, and, and how he was set loose at that point in that place, and he was sent there to those places to begin a ministry, you know, very likely... The ministry that he had was a way that she had heard maybe a little something about Jesus. I mean, I can't say that for sure, but that's the guy who's preaching in the Decapolis, right? This is the region that we're in. And you see, the cool thing about it is even though Jesus came to the Jewish, you see him sowing seeds into the Gentile world. He's just sowing these seeds into the Gentile world. And, uh, and that's the thing. Why? Because there's abundance at his table. It's not so small that it's only for some people or some folks or just this other people group. It's, it's broad in its range. And then it says that Jesus then uh, made a little move, and it says he returned from the region of Tyre, and he went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf, and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him, and taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up into heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be open. And his ears were open, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. So he finds himself in, in, in this spot. And, and again, we see these people, they bring this guy to him. Remember in Mark chapter 2, we saw, we saw a group of friends of somebody who was on a mat who was a paralytic. And his friends brought him and they couldn't get him into Jesus and so they went up onto the roof and ripped the whole roof off and lowered Jesus down into this house. 
And I remind you again to make sure that you surround yourself with people who are willing to rip a roof off to get you closer to Jesus. And also that we would be a people who are bringing people to Jesus, recognizing and knowing that he's the answer and that he's the way, that we would be bringing him these people. And so when we see this, it's, it's kind of interesting because before with, this, with, the, uh, with the lady, the Syrophoenician lady, Jesus just says, okay, it's done. It's done. She's healed, go. But now we see kind of a whole lot of stuff, right? Fingers and ears, and spit and put on your tongue and all this stuff. And, and you're like, what's up with some of this? You know, why is this? Why these actions? But, you know, Jesus knows the need. Honestly, for the Syrophoenician woman, Jesus wasn't that interested in her comfort. He just challenged her in a hard, kind of a difficult way. For you and I, honestly, Jesus isn't interested in your comfort. He's interested in your growth. That's what he's interested in is our growth. And, and, and the best way for us to grow on many occasions is through discomfort. So, so Jesus isn't so concerned with our comfort that he would limit our growth. He understands that our growth actually ultimately ends up in a place of comfort. Therefore, it's better the way that he does it than the way that we would do it. But see, with this guy, think about this. This guy is a deaf mute. He can't speak. He hasn't heard anything. He's probably been, I mean, I hate to think of what this guy's been through in his life teased and tormented and all kinds of things, unable to really communicate with somebody or, 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 or make his thoughts intelligible to someone else. He's just kind of been trapped in this spot. And so Jesus just meets him exactly right there. And, and I think that all of the things that Jesus is doing, they're for him. He needs to see this this thing, because he can't hear. He can't, Jesus can't tell, well, I'm about to do this or that. Or, or you know, Jesus begins this thing of meeting him exactly where he's at and communicating with him on the level that he needs communicated with. And so Jesus begins to physically use touch and, and these different things to demonstrate to him that he's there to probably bring great comfort to him in the midst of this, that Jesus is relating to him on a way that, that he can get. So for you and I, I mean, I think that that's, that's a really cool thing, too, is that Jesus knows. He knows every need that we have. He knows where we're at. He knows the depth of struggle that is in your life, the things that are unique to you. And he's uniquely going to minister to you. He's going to minister to you in exactly the way that that you need him to. He's going to meet you at the places and in the ways that, that you need to so that you can best get it and understand. He's incredibly compassionate and caring and careful with us on so many levels. But sometimes the reality of it is we need to be challenged, right? We need, we need that. We need to be challenged on some of these things, and, and he's good enough to challenge us on those things. Instead of leaving us over here in this place of, of brokenness, and, and, and he's good enough sometimes to challenge us on the very things that we need challenged on. Oops. And those times where we just need care, 
And we need Jesus to just be careful with us because of the state that we're in. He's that too. He's able to meet both of those things in both of those places. So this was not for Jesus. It wasn't for the people around him that he went through these these different actions. It was for this guy so that he could be comforted by Jesus and so that he could know that Jesus was at work in his life. And then it's just this amazing thing that the people around him, how it, how it goes out from there. And what do these people say? They say, he has done all things well. And that's just the truth. He does all things well. And, and see, that's the place that we really need to start, regardless of, of what Jesus is doing in your life right now or how difficult that is or how challenging that is. We start from that place of understanding that he has done all things well. He is doing all things well, whether I'm comfortable or I'm not, whether he's just meeting me with great care or he's challenging me where I'm at, he is doing it well, and he's for you. He's never against you. He's always for us. Isaiah 35 is, is this chapter that, that, that talks about this, and it says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This is who he is. This is what his table looks like. His table is pure abundance. The only thing that could ever keep you away from his table or away from the benefits of his table is you. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that you're good. We thank you that you know us and that you love us. We thank you that you deal with us individually and uniquely. We thank you that you challenge the things in our lives, that you challenge us to to, to look at this world, to see it as you do to reject sometimes our own thoughts and our own ways. Help us, Lord, that we wouldn't be offended in those areas that, that, that we get offended in. Help us to, to, to recognize that you do all things well, that you're always doing all things well, that you're for us, that you're not against us, and that you're about our healing and you're about our wholeness. So, Lord, we just want to commit ourselves to you this day, and we want... We want to give you access to every hard part in our lives. And Lord, if, if, if we've never come to know you, if there's someone who just hasn't ever said yes to you, I pray that the gospel message would, would ring through to them today that it's not on the basis of who they are, but it's in the abundance of your table. It's, it's, it's on the basis of who you are. We just recognize that we don't really bring anything to the table. But we're very thankful that from your table overflows more than enough to sustain us. And so, Lord, as we, as we go about our day, may we be the kind of people who would 
be bringing people to you. May we recognize you to be the son of David, the Messiah, the chosen one, the the all-powerful one, the creator of all things, the redeemer of all things, the one who loved us so much that he gave his entire life. We thank you, Jesus, that you've done all things well, and we look to you. Because who else would we look to? We have nothing else, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.